no one's ever fully prepared. All these organizations, as they scale, they become a victim of their own success almost. Dear listeners of The Laundry, welcome back to another episode. In 2022, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, raised the possibility that criminals may take advantage of the speedy onboarding process of challenger banks, particularly to create money mule networks. In the report, it was also noted that challenger banks advertise the ability to open accounts quickly, which may lead to insufficient information being gathered on higher-risk customers during the account opening process. Consequently, the FCA reviewed the financial crime controls of a sample of challenger banks that compete with traditional retail banks. In this episode, we will, together with one of the leading experts in the field, James Nurse from Fintrail, explore the risk associated with challenger banks and how traditional retail banks are faring in comparison. We will also be looking at the financial crime controls among the challenger banks to better understand the situation. Welcome, James. Thanks so much for having me. Super interesting, uh, interesting topic. I know a lot of our listeners uh, work uh, at traditional banks. So exploring this uh, challenger bank versus traditional bank is an interesting topic. Um, Just to dig right into it. So first, what led to the need for a review of financial crime practices in the challenger banks? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in the UK and similar to other kind of uh, um, areas of the, the EU and the world, um, thematic reviews of certain sub-segments are reasonably normal. Um, but obviously, as you alluded to, there was general concerns about, uh, um, bearing in mind the national risk assessment that I think they referred to was published in 20, 2020 before COVID um, mm. and uh, before, obviously, this uh, lighter touch, as they're describing, or uh, um, quicker onboarding process became a bit more normality than it is now. So um, the the kind of uh, light touch or, or less intrusive uh, onboarding process was the kind of uh, driver. I think they also saw more suspicious activity reports or SARS uh, or suspicious transaction reports, depending on where you're coming from, coming from that subsection as well. So uh, there was a few driving factors that I guess made them decide that maybe it needs a little bit of de- delving deeper into that uh, particular area. And what were some of the critical weaknesses that they identified in this or they identified and then gave out in this report? Yeah, sure. So I guess what I would say is nothing necessarily crazy new than they haven't said before about other areas. So it's, um, you know, um, customer risk assessments. So not having a, you know, a sufficient uh, methodology for customer risk assessments, which is, uh, you know, something that continues to come up all the time. Um, increasing SARS or lack of quality suspicious activity reports, um, basic um, due diligence, but also lack of EDD um, for high-risk clients, I think was one important one they flagged as well. Um, but one interesting one that was a bit uh, kind of unique to this area is um, having a, a um, sufficient change program um, in place. So uh, clearly a lot of these kind of organizations they're referring to go through you know huge scale growth. Um, and having a change program to manage that growth is an area that they identified that maybe they kind of fell short of. That's something we need to like pick up on later. But what were some of the, you know, for challenger banks, what are some of the worst exploitations you've seen uh, organized criminal, 
criminals have uh, have done towards this these type of new uh, actors. So I guess it's not anything that the kind of traditional banks wouldn't be getting abused for in the same path. But I guess fraud continues to be the kind of main pandemic that occurs uh, uh, that we haven't resolved as a society. So being the exit route for fraud, I guess, is continues to be one of those main kind of risks that they they kind of experience. So um, with fraud comes, you know, money mules and uh, those kind of areas. So um, anything from, you know, money mules from a retail perspective or you know, the, the abuse of corporate um, kind of uh, organizations to move uh, kind of money, again, related to scams and fraud as well. Are you ready to level up your AML and compliance game? Join us on Wednesday, March 1st for The Laundry Live, a live community event streamed on YouTube featuring subject matter experts, Q&As, some surprises and exciting topics. This is your chance to stay ahead of the curve and get up to date on the latest AML and compliance developments. Check out the event on Strice's LinkedIn page for more info. See you there. I've also saw recently in here in the Nordics, there was a huge uh, operation where in Denmark, where they ar- the police arrested 200 people related to a money mule network. So yeah, it's, uh, it is a big problem. Um, Let's get to the topic of sanctions. So that is becoming increasingly important. Um, And this review that was conducted in 2021, so before the, the war in Ukraine, so the focus on sanctions in this report was limited. But how can challenger banks best ensure their customer risk assessment and EDD measures are adopted to the heightened risk of sanction evasions? How do they yeah, do that now? Yeah. Sanctions is an interesting one compared to some other financial crime risks in the sense that it's a bit more yes or no when it comes to control sometimes, especially at onboarding. So, um, you know, talking about customer risk assessments, it becomes a bit more um, less useful, I guess I'd say, rather than tricky to incorporate uh, sanctions risks into, um, you know, customer risk assessments, although clearly some business models are slightly different or have higher risks. So, you know, there needs to be some things to consider if, if required. On a sanctions risk when it comes to kind of uh, EDD or, or um, kind of customer due diligence, clearly that's definitely kind of a unique area that um, people need to be thinking. So making sure, you know, you're collecting or considering the, the correct kind of EDD, EDD measures to actually um, kind of determine or discount sanctions in your policies, procedures is, 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 is really important. So I guess those CRAs, not so much, um, but, you know, EDD and, and CDD um, certainly. You know, we talk about challenger banks now at something as something separate, but what or do they really differ from traditional banks in terms of the legis- legislation they need to comply with and the risk uh, frameworks, etc. But or you know, are there really two different things, or is it just actually uh, the same? I mean, principally, they're the same. Uh, I think, uh, like, in, in, you know, they, they're required to meet the same kind of AML regulatory obligations, albeit, you know, some kind of challenger banks or some kind of uh, come under, I guess, EMI or electro- mon- electronic money institutions or payment institutions rather than, you know, a full-blown banking license. Uh, and they may have their own kind of banking partners they report into. So um, it may not just be the kind of... Uh, local legislation they need to abide by they need to kind of meet the standards of their banking partners as well 
Um, generally, the principles are the same, but ultimately, um, you know, sometimes if you are an EMI or a payment institutions, uh, there's certain kind of less um, kind of steps that you need to consider, particularly, you know, from a, um, you know, key stakeholder perspective, having like, you know, a significant uh, um, kind of uh, senior management involved in, 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 in terms of registration. Mm. Do you, you guys have been working with a lot of, you know, challenger banks, new fintechs, etc. Do you think a lot of... Uh, founders in that area has been, uh, you know, you start out with a great financial application idea and then suddenly you meet the reality of compliance and regulations. What have you seen? Uh, are people prepared for all the work that goes into that or? I'd say never. I think no one's ever fully prepared. Um, you know, we, we've met lots of great founders who really want to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, be all these organizations, as they scale, they become a, you know, a victim of their own success almost. So uh, no one can really kind of uh, prepare for like, you know, really uber growth uh, as some of those organizations have seen. Are there any specific guidance available to challenger banks to help them meet their AML, CFT obligations? So no more than like anywhere else, I'd say, um, you know, clearly the the usual kind of um, places to go to. So, uh, um, you know, the EBA, um, Wolfsburg Group always pu publish loads of good guidance. In the UK, we're quite fortunate that we have some, you know, the, the joint money laundering uh, steering um, group that publish guidance as well. So, um, but also, you know, go to your local kind of uh, um, authority for those um, particular guidance bits as well. But, you know, we at Fintrail, we post lots of guidance. So check out what we do. I'd be wrong of me not to plug us at the same time there. But um, but also, you know, peers as well. Uh, I think uh, there's lots of communities that you can get kind of best practices in. So um, we have our own community, the FinTech FinCrime Exchange as well. So um, reliance on peers uh, continues to be like, really important. So, you know, when you start a challenger bank, you kind of start from scratch. You don't have any like technical legacy. You can start with the best tools and you don't have like a huge customer base already. Like more traditional banks that already have systems in place, huge portfolios. And when a new regulation come in, you need to like adapt everything to the new regulation. But do you see um, challenger banks making different decisions in how they set up their compliance in terms of IT systems than traditional banks or do a lot of people fall into the same trap of buying more uh, older systems and you know then suddenly are faced with the same legacy and workflow issues as traditional banks? I think with traditional banks one thing we have to appreciate is usually there's loads of different areas of the bank you have the lending part you'll have the retail you have the corporate you learn the investment so already you've got you know all sorts of subsections within the bank which create um, complexities that that maybe become a little bit tricky to kind of maneuver um, whereas you know one benefit of um, you know starting from scratch is you know you managing all those things in the in, in the kind of the same bucket. Um, especially when, you know, maybe the retail part of the bank is using a different system to the, the corporate or investment part of the bank. Whereas, uh, you know, within a within a kind of a newly established kind of, uh, you know, challenger bank or any fintech organization, you know, trying to manage that all in one, all encompassing control framework um, is, a you know, plays into is a little bit more beneficial. So what are some of the, you know, tips when you guys start working with a new fintech? Let's say you start working with a new fintech, they're going to build their compliance program from, from scratch and, you know, you can choose, uh, you can start building up that infrastructure. What are some of the like top three tips that you would give them as a 
if they were just starting out? Yeah, I mean, hiring the right people as early as you can is important, or at least getting the an extern, external support if you need that as well. Um, getting it as right as possible to begin with always helps you later down the line. I think, you know, fraud is always um, a, a key topic for people to be thinking about, especially uh, it always is the key risk that people kind of come up from a volume perspective and also, uh, um, you know, operational and, you know, the, the ones that are under most scrutiny at the moment. So make sure you're thinking about fraud, I think is usually one of my kind of top tips as well. Um, but also just like, um, I guess, continually monitoring your framework. I think um, the controls that you implement at day dot are not going to be the ones that you have one year on. They're not going to be the same controls that you have two years on. So, you know, monitoring that and making sure you're, you're, you're kind of monitoring that on a dynamic, continuous basis is uh, is, is really important because they're not going to be maintain effectiveness as you kind of continue in your journey. Yeah, and here we come back to the change change programs. You know, the report pointed out that that was not in place in several of these banks. But can you give like an ex- a very specific examples of of how uh, like a program when you start out and then how it's how that doesn't fit a few years later and what it should be like? What does it like a practical example? I mean, it could be as simple as resourcing. So, uh, you know, simple, you you start with 100 customers per year. Suddenly you're getting 1,000 customers. Clearly, you need to be thinking about what your budget is in order to have, you know, um, enough analysts to actually kind of um, kind of resolve the the outputs from your CDD, your screening, your, your, your kind of uh, uh, transaction monitoring files. That's a simple one, you know. Changing in business models is another of the example. So, or going into kind of uh, new jurisdictions or suddenly offering like new products. You, you need to be thinking about what you need to change as part of your, your financial crime program to manage that. Just suddenly offering a lending product or offering a card product or international bank transfers or, you know, moving from Norway and suddenly entering into uh, the French market or the African market or something, you know, clearly there's, you know, different inherent risks that you need to consider that you need to be adapting to. Your your kind of framework that you, you apply when you first kind of start out needs to change to your business model. Mm. And then uh, in relation to this, like, at, let's look out at 2023. And could challenger banks or can they expect anything from the FCA in terms of monitoring their compliance program with, you know, the upcoming regulations and so forth? Will there be new guidelines or something? So I guess in terms of what they can expect, um, there's probably going to be more uh, kind of, you know, thematic reviews coming out. I know they've got plans of... Uh, doing specifically fraud deep dives, which is a reasonably new one for them. Um, you know, other other kind of um, areas are, are also kind of uh, um, deep deep diving into the money challenger bank space as well. I think um, um, the in Ireland, I think on Friday, they actually released another, I guess, dear CEO letter um, specifically on that area, a more broader one, but definitely covers AML and financial crime in, in, in some kind of degree as well. Um, but, you know, specifically in the UK, Fraud is going to be continue to be top uh, top priority. Uh, um, the government here has like an agenda in terms of their plan. Um, the House of Lords um, put out reports, um, you know, late last year, specifically looking at fraud and the scrutiny of fraud. So um, that that's definitely the area that I would be focusing on uh, uh, alongside other bits as well. Like, let's talk more about the positive note, not just the, you know, the things that yeah, they yeah. identified that was wrong in this report. The FCA observed a lot of good practices as well among the challenger banks. So 
what risk controls are the challenger banks usually good at or maybe even better at uh, better at than the traditional peers yeah so i think um if i remember rightly on the on, they specifically called out things like um you know good um policies and procedures and that were up to date i think a usual thing is um especially as an well, we, we do lots of audits of Fintrail, but you go in, you review a policy and, it, you know, it ha hasn't been looked at since, you know, 2015 or something. And you ask the question of why it's not been updated. Um, you know, the policies or procedures should be the, you know, focal part of your control framework. So they definitely highlighted that, you know, having those those up to date was something that they saw a best practice perspective there. I think the use of technology, um, particularly onboarding, was another one as well. So, uh, um using non-traditional kind of methodologies to, to identify and verify um, their, your client base. So, you know, biometric technology and that kind of thing as well. So those are two examples of best practices in your eyes. It's not all bad news. There's some good news in there as well. Definitely. And uh, interesting what you said about, you know, using new, new technologies for the uh, onboarding process. How, like in your opinion, how do you balance the need for a robust KYC onboarding process with, you know, the seamless customer experience process? That's always like a tricky one to find the right balance. What's uh, your take on this? I guess there's probably three areas that I would highlight here. It's having a really effective customer risk assessment. If you really understand your customers and effectively risk rate them, um, you should be able to apply the the proportionate due diligence to uh, that the meets them. So in theory, you know, lower risk clients should have a, you know, more kind of less intrusive process and, you know, higher risk clients should maybe have a more intrusive process. Um, and then the other point is probably, uh, I guess, the, the difference between compliance and risk management. So you can be compliant to the local legislation, but it doesn't necessarily highlight all the risks you need to consider. Again, going back to the fraud point, that's one to highlight. Um, so, you know, thinking about what other kind of controls that you can kind of include that aren't necessarily part of, you know, the money launder regulations in the UK or the Bank Secrecy Act in the US or whatever your equivalent is. And then the final one is, I guess, intrusive versus not intrusive KYC. Not everything has to be a touch point with the customer. There's loads of like um, kind of back end or, you know, it, extra information you can collect as, from a customer perspective that doesn't need you to actually ask questions um, um, for them and doesn't involve them submitting a proof of address document or extra information. So there's there's ways in which you can be clever about getting extra information and verifying and understanding your client without actually kind of, uh, you know, putting them through unnecessarily burden. Yeah, I agree with that. And we were discussing this over at lunch at Strice today because uh, we are like Strice is a customer of several banks and uh, one of the banks in which we are a customer. It's more of a traditional one. Um, I got asked to update the KYC information. And here in Norway, we have access to a lot of public registers with like verified information. And when I looked at this form, they had the most outdated information and it was no, I had to input everything manually. Uh, even we don't have one UBO at Strice and I couldn't then press no and then not fill out any UBO. So I'm like, are you serious? And then I filled it out. And then I got an email today saying, oh, you guys have had a new uh, like change in ownership. Yeah, can you please send in all of this documentation? And I know it's publicly available. And it's such a, like, so much friction. And also it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm sending it in on an email. How am I ensure that this will be stored correctly? Isn't it better if you guys could just pull it automatically? And yeah, that was a not a seamless customer experience uh, at all. 
in what other like from your experience how what other things have you seen in the kyc process that like separates challenger banks and more traditional banks i think other than the use of you know the technology um and although clearly i think if you'd asked me this um you know two years ago it would probably be more but like um you know after covid uh, or the word that we're not allowed to use but uh um, you know, there's been a complete increase in similarities of, uh, of how, uh, I guess, traditional kind of financial institutions or banks or the the the, the operate in very similar manner to, uh, I guess, the the kind of um, fintech or challenger bank sector as well. So, I guess, you know, two years ago, lots um, they were certainly using less, you know, um, natural language processing, less kind of biometric technology, whereas. Now, you know, clearly the banks are very much uh, kind of adopting those uh, as part of their onboarding was, you know, more more kind of, uh, um, you know, high streets uh, banks are shutting. So digital onboarding is now actually the new normality. Um, so I actually remember a, a, a kind of a, a day when they used to class, uh, um, you know, remote onboarding as high risk, um, whereas now that's not um, a, a specific factor. It's just a different kind of way in which you onboard clients. So I think actually less so now um, i guess than, than than previous although clearly they are you know quicker adopters than of technology usually because it's uh, an easier to move a, a smaller kind of organization nimble organization than a large kind of uh, retail or corporate bank looking in more into the future what are some of the you've mentioned fraud uh, like what are some of the other um what do you think will be the big compliance trends in 2023 I mean, effectiveness continues to. I mean, I think I said this last year as well, but uh, effectiveness is a, is going to be continue to be a huge trend, uh, mainly because we we continue to be compliant but not effective. Uh, so I think making sure that kind of you know your you you may have um, your your the controls in place that 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 you think are regulatory compliant, but actually are they effective and working correctly? I think is another thing. So I think. Well, I'm going to bang this drum again in January, as I probably did in January uh, 2022. But effectiveness, um, please, I uh, think I'd like to see that, and I think will um, be um, a kind of an area that continues to be a focus. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so too, because the compliance—it's such a fast-growing profession and area, and uh, um, criminals are always a step ahead. It's much more organized crimes. You can do, you know financial crime as a service uh, almost now or these services are available so i think too the effectiveness will be uh, will be important and also you know um more automation so all these people can work on what's you know the really hard cases the investigation like all of that and then having smarter systems to handle more of the uh, lower risk volume based processes um I see time is running out, but I also I have a final question, and that is, what is the best thing uh, to about working with financial crime prevention? That is a very good question, and one that I was ill prepared for. Um, I think I would say people don't view financial, other than you know making a difference. Obviously, I need to say that one first because that is the most important thing. Um, but I I actually think it's creativity. People don't actually view. Uh, um, compliance and particularly financial crime compliance is a, a creative area of the business but actually it's really really creative especially when you think about you know properly thinking about a risk-based approach and how you adopt it really thinking creatively about how you, you you properly mitigate your risks or meet your regulatory obligations 
think that's the bit I enjoyed the mo most, thinking outside the box how to stop that crime happening and uh, I think is the bit I enjoy the most. That is a very good answer. And uh, yeah, I tend to agree. It's actually much more creative than uh, than people people think. Thank you so much for coming on The Laundry, James. It was super interesting to, to talk about this topic with you and I uh, hope to have you in another episode in the future. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah,